It's time for Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis. Doug is a certified financial planner, providing you with a personal financial hotline to answer your questions about tax planning, investments, retirement planning, estate planning, and education planning. Doug and Linda are the owners of Lewis Financial Management, a registered investment advisory firm in Raleigh, providing financial and investment services since 1983. Doug and Linda will be answering your questions on WPTF's phone lines anytime during the next hour. Call 860-9783. That's 860-WPTF. Call toll-free 1-800-662-7979. And for mobile phones, it's star 680. And now, Doug and Linda Lewis and Money Matters. Hello there, North Carolina. This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner, once again welcoming you to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis. Money Matters with Doug and Linda has been providing you with a personal financial hotline for all of your questions about investments, estate planning, tax planning, money management, and retirement planning for over 20 years. And again, with me as usual tonight is my wife, Linda, who works with me in our firm, Lewis Financial Management. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the show. Doug and I are the owners of Lewis Financial Management, a registered investment advisory firm in Raleigh, providing investment in financial advice since 1983. For over 20 years, we've been answering your questions on the WPTF phone lines. They are your questions and our answers. So sit back and enjoy, or if you're free, call us tonight on the open lines. We'll take your calls anytime during the next hour. You're free to call in and ask any financial question about your own personal financial planning. Call us at 860-9783. That's 860-WPTF. Or you can call us toll-free, long-distance, at 1-800-662-7979. Well, financial planning is everyone's business, and still for most folks, money matters are just a big puzzle. Folks have questions about planning for retirement, planning for a child's college education. They don't know the difference between financial planning and money management. They want to know a lot these days. They want to know what's a mutual fund, what's a limited partnership, what's a REIT, What's a will? What's a living will? And yes, it really can confuse you. But you're not alone. Because in a world crowded with new investments, changing tax laws, rapidly evolving insurance products, and volatile economic cycles, more and more people are looking for clear direction in their financial lives. And yet, unfortunately, the busier and the more successful they are, the less time they have to sort out their financial affairs. And people are asking, is there any solution? Well, yes, Doug, there certainly is a solution. Out of this increasingly complicated financial environment has come a new breed of professionals that are trying to solve people's money puzzles. And that's the Certified Financial Planner. It's the certified financial planner who offers something that people don't get from the traditional stockbroker, money manager, accountant, insurance agent, or bank trust officer. And that's a way to consolidate all aspects of people's financial affairs into one financial plan. It's the certified financial planner who knows how to pull together all six areas of a client's financial life. Doug, I think for many people, the first area of financial planning is cash flow planning with questions about their emergency fund, their mortgage, their credit cards, and reducing their debt. Well, yes, Linda, and yet for many people, the second area of financial planning is retirement planning. Those who are working want to know how to compute what they'll need to live on during retirement. 
and how much they should be saving for retirement. They want to know what investments they should choose from the choices in their company's 401k plan. Others are retiring and have received a lump sum payout option from their company's retirement plan, and they want to know, should they take it, and if so, how should they invest it? Well, Doug, the third area of financial planning that must be dealt with is estate planning. For most people, over their working years, their estate has grown. How can they reduce their estate taxes? And they wonder, are their simple wills sufficient, or maybe they should be considering the complicated world of trusts? If that's the third area, Linda, the fourth area of financial planning cannot be overlooked. This is tax planning. People are interested in both tax reduction strategies and tax reduction investments. Home mortgage interest, charitable giving, tax shelters, tax-free bonds, questions about capital gains taxes, estate taxes, gift taxes, and how to sell real estate tax-free using trusts. What a confusion. Well, Doug, we can't forget the fifth area of financial planning, which is insurance planning. How much life insurance does a family really need? Do they have too little insurance or maybe too much insurance? Should they have whole life, term, or universal? Should they have long-term nursing care coverage? You're right, Lynn. And, of course, the sixth and most important area of financial planning is investment planning. Here, the questions never stop. What's the best way to diversify my investments? Is now a safe time to invest in stocks? What about bonds? What kind of stock mutual funds? Bond mutual funds, equipment leasing partnerships, REITs, CDs, gold, annuities. So, Doug, it seems that at last it's time for people to understand that a certified financial planner is really the only one who can tie together all six parts of their financial puzzle. And to you out there listening, if you've got a question on your mind about cash flow planning, retirement planning, estate planning, tax planning, insurance, or investments, Call us now on the open lines, and we'll answer your financial planning questions. Those numbers to call are 860-9783. That's 860-WPTF. Out-of-towners, call us toll-free at 1-800-662-7979. And if you just want to sit back and listen to the callers through the years, welcome to the show. Investments offered through HBEC Inc., HBEC Inc., and Lewis Financial Management are not affiliated entities. Well, Linda, what a day. Wow. What a day we're having. <laughs> we should be on our back porch somewhere enjoying this one, right? Yes, it's a wonderful day. And uh, uh, we did have some storms blow through um, in the last 24 hours at night. But uh, I think uh, we had a wonderful day and I hope everyone enjoyed their Sunday. And uh, we're having heat but hopefully we won't have it too many more storms blowing through here. But anyway, I hope everyone is doing well. And uh, financial planning is everybody's business, isn't it, Doug? Financial planning is still everyone's business. You can't get away from it. Uh, if you do get away from it, you're playing the uh, the story of the ostrich. I think we have a caller, Lynn. Let's take our first caller this evening, okay. and then we'll see where we're headed next. Very good. Uh, hello, who do we have this evening? Welcome to the show. <laughs> hello. I don't. I don't. Hello. Hello. Am I on? I, yes, sir. You are on. <laughs> I I hear you. Uh, who do we have this evening? What's your name, sir? My name is Jim. 
Hi, Jim. How can I help you? This is Doug Lewis, certified financial planner. What's your money matter this evening? Doug, what's the difference between a limited partnership and a master limited partnership? Uh, well, tell me a little bit about yourself. There's a big difference, but in some cases, but in some cases, there's not at all a, uh, a difference. What? Um, how old are you, Jim? Seventy-seven. Seventy-seven. Do you own any limited partnerships in your investment portfolio? No, I do not. Do you own any master limited partnerships? ML, any uh, MLPs? No. Okay. Uh, just out of curiosity, what is the size of your portfolio right now, Jim, in non-retirement monies? About uh, $3 million. All right, you have about $3 million. Is it all in liquid investments, or is some of it in non-liquid investments? It, it's all in stocks. It's, it's all in stocks? All in stocks. Okay. Um, a limited partnership is an entity of ownership. It's an ownership form. All ownerships will uh, be... Anything that you own as an investment will either be a sole proprietorship or that's a single entity. That's where you own something. Uh, let's say you buy yourself a rental house. Okay. All right. Or a partnership. That's two people or more. And each of them shares the liability, the risk of, of each other. You're not limited. You are all in a partnership owning. Then you come to corporations as an ownership, a corporate ownership would be something like an S-Corp or a C-Corporation. And any one of the stocks that you own in your portfolio is part of a C-Corporation. What that means is that if, take computers for an example, you could go ahead and buy a bunch of computers yourself and go to sell them, and now it's a sole proprietorship business. You run the risk of everybody that is trying to buy and sell computers and lawsuits and so forth. You could open up a partnership between you and a couple other guys to buy a bunch of computers, and then again, you could go ahead and start selling them, and you'd share the profits, and you'd have the risks of all of you being sued equally. You could also go to an, uh, an a corporate structure where you form a corporation, call it IBM, and then IBM is this corporation which now owns all these computers, and then the profits, uh, oh, and then you sell the stock to other stockholders. And now all the stockholders own shares in this corporation, and all of them share in the profits, but none of the risks. Once you've moved into the corporate structure, the risks are to the corporation. Now, there are some subcategories, which I'm not going to touch on, which differ a little bit. But back to the question of the stock. The stock has no risk to the uh, to somebody being sued from buying and selling computers or something like that. You just have a share of the profits, if any, and the share itself is a worthless piece of paper because it has no guarantee on it, so you own it because you want to sell it for a profit. That's why you buy a stock. You with me so far? Oh, yes. If you go back then... Before the decision to be a corporation and you come back to the partnership structure, now we have all the risks that are, that are inherent in it. And typically 
the partnerships investments that were structured in the 1980s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, many of them were around real estate, buying real estate, collecting the rent. But you didn't have enough money to go ahead and buy a whole office building on your own. So maybe half a dozen doctors got together, put their money together, bought an office building together as a partnership. And then we had other partnerships, which were larger, where you would maybe link together with partners around the United States, and now you're partners with people you don't know. And so the concept of a limited partnership surfaced, and the limited partnership said, one partner says, I will be the partner that has general liability, meaning any lawsuits come to me. But a limited partner, meaning all the other partners, are limited only to the amount that they put up into the investment. So they are not having any liabilities. So if you're with me so far, now this partnership, it could own anything. It could own computers. It could own land. It could own real estate. It could own ostriches. It could own windmills. And through the 80s, we saw lots and lots of limited partnerships that owned all kinds of assets. Equipment. The equipment. Uh, the, the types of investments in partnerships, however, are generally because you believe in the asset itself, the underlying asset. So let's say it's a, a shopping center. You believe the shopping center. That's very different from buying stock in IBM because you don't own those computers. You just own part of the stock of the profits that IBM may make. You see what I'm saying? Yes. So the limited partnership structure is direct participation ownership in the underlying things themselves. There's a unique difference, however, between the limited partnership and the uh, corporation that trades like IBM on a stock exchange, and that is that a limited partnership can never trade on a stock exchange. And because of that, there came the concept of a master limited partnership, an MLP, which does trade on the stock exchange. And the difference between MLPs and LPs is just that the MLPs are trading on the stock exchange and you buy them uh, very often because of the liquidity, but you have the risk of anything in a stock. The LPs are not able to trade on a stock exchange and you buy them because you want the assets that are in the underlying, uh, the, the underlying assets and you want, there are other things, there are other reasons people buy them because of tax benefits and so forth. Does that help you out, Jim? Yes, that makes a lot of sense. Well, let me ask you a specific question. I was reading uh, today in Barron's about this company, uh, is a master limited partnership, um, uh, which owns coal mines in Indiana, I think it is, and, uh, well, yeah, okay, Indiana and some other. Anyway, the, it, it's a master limited partnership. They're completely sold out for over a year. Uh, they had something like an astronomical 80% return on investment. And, uh, but the master limited partner, I guess it was, was charging 22%. And it, it just sort of didn't hang together. I, I, is, is 22% kind of high? 
uh, there's a lot of things that are wrong with some of the some of the facts that uh, you're throwing at me, and you're exactly right to be suspicious. Hang on one second. Let me announce the numbers. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis on News Radio 680 WPTF. And if you've got a question, call us on the open lines at 860 WPTF. That's 860-9783. Out of towners, it is toll free. 1-800-662-7979. Yeah, what I might suggest you do, Jim, because the concept is valid. There are, there are some good master limited partnerships out there. There are a bunch of ones that, however, I think aren't worth the paper they're written on. The risks are not disclosed to you and so forth. And the types of numbers that you're saying, both of them, I understand, are uh, full of doubt on my part as an investment advisor. You might write down my phone number at the office, Jim. My number at the office is 872-7000. That's 919, of course, 919-872-7000. And if you want to call my office, we'll see if we can schedule an appointment to get together, and I will go over the whole world of MLPs and also give you advice about your own personal financial planning with regard to your portfolio, because it may be that they're not at all right for you, and it may be then the question, even if they are, which ones? And and then therein, you're like walking through a minefield. Okay. Well, I um, thank you very much. I've been listening to you for a lot of years. Well, well, good. Well, give us a call, Jim. I'd love to meet with you, and I think uh, it would be fun walking you through the different asset classes that are out there, and then how to... S- how to drill down past the asset classes to the managers themselves. If you don't get that far, then in my philosophy at Lewis Financial Management for many, many years has you're walking on thin ice, always get down to the managers. And then, of course, we come to questions that, like you've got about, you know, what are the fees of the manager, the experience of the manager, and all of that. Well, that's why I'm looking at it from a tax standpoint, as you just pointed out, is the fact I'm looking for safe, conservative investments that are, I won't be impacted to having to with taxes. Yeah, there are uh, there are a number of exciting uh, and still very legitimate tax strategies which we utilize in our office with our clients' portfolios uh, from the financial planning viewpoint. We'll be talking about a couple of them on tonight's program, but uh, you're exactly right. There are aspects on the tax side as well as the risk of the investment side, and you have to look at both of those together. Okay, I got your number on the card, and I will uh, your call. Looking forward to meeting with you, Jim. Thank you for calling this evening. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye now. now. Have a great week. Give us a call now. If you have a question for Doug and Linda, call now 860-WPTF. That's 860-9783 or toll-free anywhere in North Carolina. You can hear them at 800-662-7979. Well, Linda, what have you been reading this week in the financial presses that has uh, grabbed your eye? Well, Doug, there was a very interesting um, short article uh, in Advisor One and... um, an individual with the Millican Institute, uh, he was talking about the state of a com- uh, the state of the economy, saying that things aren't getting worse. Isn't that interesting? Well, you know, when you look specifically at the numbers, that's exactly right. No matter what the popular press says. 
things are not getting worse. As a matter of fact, they're getting better. But what types of things did he bring up in his uh, in his article? Because Advisor One is a very good source of information. They have a they have a, a type of news channel that I like. Go ahead. Well, um, he said that credit expansion in federal uh, policies are positive, but. Arab oil is is probably the economy's biggest wild card. And recently, a Fed, a Fed report shows that U.S. consumer borrowing has increased. And even though, you know, uh, uh, what we're seeing is credit expansion, and um, though there is some monetary easing as far as the uh, the Fed chairman is concerned. Um, what we're seeing is that consumers are, again, getting access to credit. Well, you're seeing or you're quoting him? No, I'm quoting him. Yeah, you're right. You're, I mean, he's right. Uh, there is definitely a loosening up of credit. Uh, the banks are, are, interestingly enough, they, they want to loan. Uh, and so credit is being more available. There's no doubt about it. And consumers are, once again, getting access to these credit markets. Uh, and there is data that says that the consumers are willing to take on more risk by borrowing more. I'm not sure that that is a very positive sign, at least on the personal level. But there is definitely that from the banking side that banks are starting to uh, be in a healthier position because they're lending money. But, you know, what What he also said is that uh, consumers are continuing to pare down on their credit card debt, which is good news. Yes. Because although, you know, uh, people are getting access to loans, they're a little bit probably more cautious about spending so, and wanting to pare down on their credit card debt. So I guess what he's saying there is that the kind of debt that the consumers are starting to uh, re-enter or re-access uh, they're getting rid of their credit card debt. In other words, and I've seen a lot of data that says spending habits in the U.S. Uh, after what happened in 2008, spending habits are changing. I have seen that. So he must be talking about uh, other kinds of debt other than uh, credit card debt, maybe college education debt or things like uh, uh, purchases themselves, uh one thing he said was that overall credit increased at a, a 3% annual rate. Um, and whatever the figures are that are out there, when you look at the, at the increase, one of the, one of the things he said was that a lot of it comes from taking on education debt. And of course, here we are, many, many people are graduating or have graduated in these past several weeks. And, uh, you know, for some of those graduates, because they, can't find jobs yeah. <laughs> or the ones that graduated last year, they're going to graduate school. <laughs> well, and therein lies the other side of the two-edged sword, Linda. I, when I meet with clients in my office and I hear these kinds of stories, uh, that bothers me because the very reason to go back to school and take on more debt because you can't get a job is a wrong reason. Uh, but it is happening. And the fact or the thought that I'm going to go ahead and borrow another fifty, seventy, five hundred thousand dollars to get another to get an MBA and it's going to get me a job. I don't think that's good logic. And I think the need for financial planning is the real need there to move from the state of the macroeconomic world down to personal finance is the real crucial issue. But I think we'll leave Mr. Milkins uh, uh, Institute in uh 
Yeah, it's a, a interesting statistic. I am definitely in agreement that things are looking very good. We're seeing a lot of positive signs wherever I turn. Everything is looking good with two big exceptions. And although the markets were down as of the end of the week, let's look to the new week. Yeah, you don't look at the you markets. You know, you, I don't like even looking at markets. I like looking at the cash balances of Caterpillar, of John Deere. Are these ba- are these companies doing well? And the answer is yes. Uh, you look at the uh, the position, the expansion that's happening with McDonald's. Is this good? Yes, it's good. In other words, the markets uh, they don't necessarily go in sync any longer with the state of the economy. So the market may be down, the economy may do, be doing well. It's it's a non-event of the two. Give Doug and Linda a call now at 860-WPTF. That's 860-9783 or toll-free 800-662-7979. Another financial crisis is inevitable is what Mark Mobius, who is the executive chairman of Templeton Asset Management Emerging Markets Group, Well, now, when you hear the name Mark Mobius, all of a sudden, uh, those of us in the investment world, our ears perk up because here is not a, a, a philosopher or an economist in the macro level. Mark Mobius, of course, is one of the legendary Mm, names in the world of mutual funds and specifically emerging market mutual funds. And he's been around a long time. What did he have to say when he's looking from his view? Well, he said that uh, there is definitely going to be another financial crisis around the corner because we haven't solved any of the things that caused the previous crisis. So he's referring to the things he's referring to, Linda. He'd be referring to things like derivatives. He'd be referring to investment vehicles that are are so unregulated and so uh, so crazy that the uh that 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 they they make no sense in terms of his view of how to research a company and so forth and i think he's probably right i think there definitely will be another financial crisis however the financial crisis that he's talking about he probably he pointed out that whenever you have a crisis you also have great opportunities in the investing world you certainly do um mr mobius was uh, at a, a foreign correspondence club in Japan, in Tokyo, and, uh, you know, he was giving a speech, and um, he notes that that the total value of derivatives in the world exceeds the total global gross domestic product by a factor of 10. And with that volume of bets in different directions, volatility and equity market crises will occur. They will. They will. There's no doubt about that. But that is all part of what he's doing for a living. And when markets are crashing like that, that's when people like Mobius say that they are the best able to invest and do a really good job because you have panic. When you've got a panic coming and then you're looking at a company that is very strong that you really like and you're a Mobius and you've done the research and you feel this company is great and the panic is driving all of the prices of the stock's down, yeah. including that company, that's when he says, wow, I can buy some of it. I can, I can buy a lot of that and put it in my mutual fund and the investors are going to come out smelling like a rose. So you'll be able to buy cheaply. That, that's exactly At a lower move. price. 
You're listening to Money Matters on News Radio 680 WPTF. And if you've got a question, you can call us right now at 860 WPTF. That's 860-9783. And if you're out of town coming back from the beach, call us at 1-800-662-7979. Okay, Bobby, how can I help you? Hi. Hi. I have a friend who is in, in Georgia. Uh-huh. Uh, she's a widow. They have family business uh, worth about a million and a half. Double trust. Double trust. Oh, I like this one. Yeah. Okay, this is going to be fun. Tell me about it. All right. Now, this is neat. This is neat. But I warn you ahead of time, what you're doing now, you don't try this one on your own. I know. That, that's for sure. <laughs> this one needs to be done with a professional. Not many attorneys know how to do this. Not many accountants know how to do this. This is not a well-known strategy. Double right, but, unit trust. All right. It's not a unit trust at all. Okay. No. What we're going to do here is we're going to find a way to go ahead and avoid all capital gains. Mm-hmm. All right. How much, uh, give me some of her numbers. Uh Sir, all I know is she's about about one and a half, the business. All right, business is about a one and a half million dollars. Mm-hmm. Okay, one and a half million dollar business. And uh, have any idea how long she had the business? Uh, oh, 20 years. 20 years, so she's probably got a very low basis in it. Yeah, but what it is, uh, she, her husband was a doctor. Uh, he was killed. Her son is now taking the practice over. All right, it's a medical practice. That's the business. Right. You're going to have to come in and see me before I, uh, I, I, I give you a firm okay on this one. Yeah. But, I'll t- but I'll tell you this. In theory, it works like this. I'm doing one right now for some property. Real estate works wonderful like this. Well, and she a small- has lots of houses. Huh? She has lots of houses. All right. Well, anyway, it works in theory like this. Let's say that theoretically she's got uh, uh, $50,000, maybe $100,000 of, 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 of cost in that $1.5 million business. Okay. Mm-hmm. That means if she goes to sell that business today, all right, she's got a $1.4 million capital gain. Exactly. Okay. $1,400,000 times, and she's going to lose about $500,000 in capital gains taxes. So she's only going to end up with about $900,000. And the question is, is there anything she can do about it? Yes, there is. All right. She needs to do two things. First, we do what we call a wealth replacement or wealth preservation trust. She's going to give it away. She's going to give that business away to her favorite university or charity or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. By giving it away, of course, she doesn't have to pay any taxes. As a matter of fact, she gets a tax deduction if it's because it's a charitable institution. But she gives it away and then tells the institution that she gives it to that it's going to be given at her death. And until her death, it's to be held in a charitable remainder trust. All right. Now, she gives it but it's held in trust. At the same time, she sets up this trust with the help of an advisor like myself or someone that knows how to do this, and the trust is spelled out so all of the income in that trust flows to her for the remainder of her life. Okay? Mm-hmm. Our number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Okay. All right. So now the trust is set up. Business is sold, is given away to the trust. And the trust has instructions that any income in that thing flows to her for the remainder of her life. Now the buyer comes in. Buyer buys it, not from her because she doesn't own it, buys it from the trust. All right? Buys it from the trust, and the trust now has the cash. Buys it for a million four. Instead of paying $450,000 of taxes or $500,000 taxes, there are none because a charitable trust pays zero taxes. 
Therefore, there's a million foreign cash in there now instead of 900,000. We take that million foreign cash and the trustee of this trust invests it. Let's say getting a 10% return. So now you got 140,000 a year income inside that trust. And what did we tell the trust that it had to do? What were the instructions? Give it to her. In that 140,000 is a lifetime income to her. Okay. So now what's happened here? And let's stop and reflect. If she had sold it on her own, and paid the taxes and invested the ninety the nine hundred thousand in the same investments. How much would her lifetime income be? Ten percent of nine hundred. Mm-hmm. It'd be ninety thousand. She's getting one hundred and forty thousand instead of ninety thousand. All of a sudden, this is much better. But her question usually is, "Wait a second, I got my income much higher. But what about my principal? Right? What about the million four? That's gone forever, right? Yeah. And the way to do this now is we set up a second trust." We set up what we call a wealth replacement trust. And in this second trust, we go ahead and have this trust purchase a $1.4 million life insurance policy on her life. Trust owns it. Trust number two owns it. And where's the premium come from? Part of that 140000 a year that's coming to her from the first trust, she gifts to the second trust to pay the premium on that $1.4 million life insurance policy. Now what happens at her death? At her death... The 1.4 million that's in the wealth preservation trust falls down and goes to the university. Between now and her death, she has 140,000 a year income. At her death, trust number two collapses and the 1.4 million dollars life insurance policy goes over to her beneficiaries. Tax free. Tax free over there. No capital gains. The guy, the buyer got his business. Everybody won. Only person that lost here is the Internal Revenue Service. No capital gains tax. Okay, so that's a uh, charitable remainder trust. Well, what you want is a wealth preservation trust and a wealth replacement trust. And you have to be very careful because the IRS will attempt to go ahead and show. You can't have anything between your buyer and your seller. And there are very specific rules you've got to follow. And uh, you've got to have every T crossed. Every I dotted, it's got to be done properly. If you call me at the office, I'll give you some uh, some more information on it because uh, it is fraught with a lot of obstacles. The first obstacle, of course, is she's she's going to be worried about what do you mean? I got to give this thing away. Mm-hmm. So you you're trying to find a way to maintain control after you give it away, right? And that's a little tricky. You want the trustee, the investment advisor, uh, all of that has to be in place. Our number in Raleigh is nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand. That's USA 7000. Uh, you don't have to mention on there, but do you know anyone in the state of Georgia uh, that you would recommend? I'm doing one right now in the state of Georgia. You are. <laughs> All right. Okay. I'll give her your name and number. <laughs> okay. Thank you for calling, Bobby. Thank you. All right. I appreciate it. Doug, that, that is definitely uh, a, uh, a sophisticated strategy, but a win-win situation. Well, of course, that caller is a call from the archives, Lynn, and a few things have changed since that time. Of course, I remember we did meet with the gentleman from uh, Georgia, and uh, it works beautifully. But there are a few things that have changed. And what are those changes, Doug? Well, let's go back a little more slowly. First of all, uh, I would not use an assumption that we're going to get a 10% return because I think in today's environment, I would be more comfortable assuming 8%. 
Now, it doesn't matter what you assume. What's going to happen is going to happen. If you make 15% in one year, then you make 15%. If you make 18%, you make 18%. If you make 3%, you make 3%. But that's talking about the investments that are inside the charitable trust. Okay? If you make 8%, let's say you had a... All right, let's let's take another case, for example, Linda. Let's say that it was a person that had $2 million stock portfolio and it had risen so high since the years they had bought it that there was huge capital gains. All right, they were facing big tax problems if they sold it. So the question then would be, well, is there a way that we can deal with the tax issue and is there a way we can get tax benefits? So in this particular case, if it was a $2 million stock portfolio, you could do exactly what I just said on the caller to the caller. I could go ahead and instruct him to give $2 million to this trust, this charitable trust, and then have the trust sell all the stocks and pay no taxes. So immediately you save all of the taxes. The difference in... What today's market is, is you're saving about 15% capital gains tax and maybe another 7 to 8% North Carolina tax. Altogether, you're saving about $23,000. I'm sorry, about 23%. So if it was a $2 million stock portfolio, for example, then we'd be talking about uh, possibly uh, maybe saving about four hundred. And forty thousand dollars of tax of taxes. So that's a powerful tax savings on the capital gain side. That's still the same. The IRS has no problem with this strategy whatsoever. Then, in terms, so, so if you had an appreciated stock portfolio, or if you had an appreciated business, right? right. Whatever kind. that asset is that you you would like to sell it, but using this strategy, you would have a trust set up right and then you would transfer the assets into the trust right and we're doing one of these we're, we're, we're seeing more and more people coming to us these days who have this very problem it can be a business owner okay uh not only medical practices but we, we're seeing people small business owners that have uh they've developed their own business and it's now worth uh in several million dollars but they don't know how they've got a buyer that wants to buy it but to sell it they're facing the huge amount of taxes about a figure a quarter 22 23 percent figure a quarter of whatever it is so if you sell it for a million dollars you're going to pay two hundred fifty thousand dollars in taxes that's a good little fast back of the napkin but the point is you can sell it tax-free and if it's a stock portfolio that's appreciated drastically in value because you've owned it for many, many, many years, you can sell it tax-free and then go ahead and get a new stock portfolio and so on. So that is say- the same. That has never changed. The second thing it's never changed is the matter of the trustee. Now, you have to never give up control. And so when you come to this matter of the trust and the trustee and how to do it, you need to always focus on a self-trusted trust where you are your own trustee. So you're basically never giving up control. You're giving from yourself as the donor to yourself as the trustee, and then you're paying yourself this income stream. But there's a big tax benefit, number two. Not only have you avoided that capital gains tax, there are other tax benefits. 
What are those tax benefits, Doug? Well, let's say that you, let's use the $2 million stock portfolio or the $2 million business again. The day that you give it to your own trust, you get a tax deduction. If it's $2 million, you may get as much, you may get about a $200,000 tax deduction on your 2011 tax return that you can then spread over the next six years. This is very powerful. And this is called a charitable deduction, even though no charity is ever going to receive this until Until you die. You die. And if you have a spouse until your spouse dies. So the tax benefits on the gift is a very powerful savings. The tax benefit on the sale, avoiding the capital gains, is a second tax benefit. And then the uh, reduction of the estate tax is a third tax benefit. This strategy works very well. A few things have changed in terms of our assumptions, but overall, it's still a win-win situation. And it works, it works very good if you happen to have, uh, no children, or if you happen to have charitable inclinations that you'd like to benefit society after you're gone. Anyway, so much for that. It is a sophisticated strategy, but one that Many people do use, and of course, as you said, um, work with a competent, certified financial planner that can assist you. And if you have an appreciated asset to all of you, our, our listeners, and you have questions, call us at the office at 919-872-7000 at Lewis Financial Management. We'll, have, we'll be happy to see if we can assist you in addressing your situation. Or you can call Doug and Linda now, right now at WPTF, 860-WPTF, that's 860-9783, or toll-free, 800-662-7979. Well, Doug, there was another interesting article in the Journal of Financial Planning about investing in an age of American austerity. Was that written by a certified financial yes, planner? Yes, it was. Lewis Walker. Oh, I know Lou he's Walker. He's a, very, he's a very reputable financial yes, planner for... Many years. So what did Lou have to say? Well, you know, age, he, you said it's investing in an age of austerity. Good. Well, he um, I guess the he, this article was written. Uh, his opinions were aired in the magazine. Uh, let's see. There was an article. American. How do you say that word? <laughs> Prolific. Profligacy. Profligacy. <laughs> That mean that means spending crazily, profligacy, yeah, right. profligacy, and American <laughs> power. And this uh, this was an article that was issued in uh, in in uh, this magazine, Foreign Affairs, the Council on Foreign Relations, uh, which publishes a magazine. And basically, one of the things that that uh, Mr. Walker said was that if U.S. leaders do not act to curb our debt addiction, the global capital markets will do so for them, forcing a sharp and punitive adjustment in fiscal policy. Okay, so he was focusing on the larger thing. What did he have to say about the individual investor and investments, uh, investors in this type of austerity that is now uh, forced upon a lot of people? Well, you know, although, you know, he was he was stating that state and local governments owe roughly 3.3 trillion. But when you 
when you when you bring it right down to reality, he said that demographics are colliding with the economic reality. And so what we're seeing is that with the first boomers reaching age 65 this year, oh, okay. he said health care and Social Security costs will rise rapidly. And we will have to accept benefit cuts, face higher co-pays, and or later retirement for full benefits, which we are seeing with some of our clients. We right? are. We are. It's becoming a, a very much an issue as they come to us, the new clients that are coming and the older clients that are now uh, uh, entering the retirement stage in the, in the age of the 60, 65 range. They are uh, facing big questions about uh, these very matters, about their health insurance and so forth. So Lou also said that taxes will rise, not necessarily in income taxes alone. Austerity in the form of a budget and tax squeeze at all levels of government is in the cards. But I, you know, I appreciated what he said that, uh, when we look at, um, what has happened in the 2000s, um, as, uh, he said, how many really saw the 2000s coming? The tech wreck, 9-11, two wars, two bear markets and 10, uh, cycles in 10 years and a go where, go nowhere market averages over the last decade. So essentially what has happened over, over this time along the way, stockbrokers and insur- insurance agents became financial advisors. Well, that that's very interesting because he has seen a lot of it, and he and I are peers. We have both seen what's happened. Uh, Stockbrokers and insurance agents during this period, uh, from, well, basically the late 90s up until the present, they became financial advisors, and then independents became financial planners, and the CFP, the Certified Financial Planner Certification, eventually emerged to dominate the alphabet soup that was out there. But there's something else that's been happening. Financial planners became wealth managers, and wealth managers became financial life planners. And so this makes it very difficult for the public to know who to go to. Uh, Wealth managers, money managers, these are ones who focus more on uh, just your wealth, just your investment portfolio. But the financial planners... These are ones such as myself who focus more on your financial independence of how, what are your living expense needs? What do you need to make sure that you will not only never run out of money over your lifetime, but that you will be able to live the desired lifestyle exactly. that you want to throughout your retirement exactly. years and leave the poor, the, your, in your estate according to how you want it. And that's the confusion, uh, that Lou is probably talking about in this matter of austerity because those who are uh, trying to migrate themselves through this present time are uh, they're being hit by either wealth managers or financial planners but there's this matter linda of life transition planning and investment strategies as you go through different stages of your life you know uh the topic of fiduciaries is really uh, the fo- the focus that we've brought onto the to our public over some months now. Who is acting on behalf of the investor, and who is not? Well, the wealth managers, the stockbrokers, many of them are not fiduciaries. They are salespeople who are looking after 
how to make your money grow, but they're also not required by law to put your interest first. The fiduciaries, those who are certified financial planners and who are practicing financial planners as registered investment advisors, they are required to act in their client's interest, and this matter of austerity is very much in their interest. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis on News Radio 680 WPTF. If you've got a question, you can call us right now on the open lines at 860 WPTF. That's 860-9783. And toll free at 1-800-662-7979. You know, Lynn, the, uh, the world of financial planning has uh, a lot of personal aspects. Uh, There was an article in the News and Observer that interested me, and it had to do uh, with a couple that wrote saying they had four children, three of them responsible, mature, these these are adult children, and one of them irresponsible, and the couple with a $2 million investment portfolio, trying to figure how can we be fair to all four of our children, knowing that we have a fourth one who, the article said, he throws his money away at women, and when they find out he doesn't have much money of anything other than maxed out credit cards, then they lose interest. He's a nice kid. He's not on drugs. He drinks a little bit too much, maybe, uh, but he just can't get a handle on his finances and so forth. Well, how do you deal with a child like that who may be in his mid-20s or 30s? We've seen lots of clients of ours that have kids like that. You want to help them. And the answer was a spendthrift trust. But there are many ways to deal with this kind of situation. Uh, the spendthrift trust is a wonderful trust where you go ahead and leave a certain amount to your child. Maybe it's a half million. And at the same time, Then you put parameters. He gets only the income for the rest of his life, but he has access to pieces of principal over stages, maybe when he's every 10 years. You put incentives in it. It works wonderfully in many ways. We do those a lot in our practice. So for those listeners of ours that are facing problems of how to deal with a child uh, that you want to be fair to when that one is irresponsible, give us a call at the office. Okay, let's take a caller. Carol, I'll take your call now. How can I help you? I appreciate you taking the call, sir. All right. Got a question about living trust. Yes, ma'am. I just recently closed an estate of an uncle who died, and I was an out-of-state resident from where he lived. Mm -hmm. And the fees I paid for probate to sell the house to bonding and everything else just horrified me because everything was set. He had a neat will. There was no question among the inheritors or anything like this. But the fees we had to pay made me look into living trust. How much was the estate, Carol? About 600000 What were the fees? I think I paid up to about 24000 That sounds about right. Okay. So I thought about the living trust, and I've been inquiring locally about this kind of thing. I've read the books on it, and it sounds good. Uh-huh. But then I found out the bank says, well, we charge 2 to 3% of the value annually. Ouch. If I had $500,000 in an estate, uh-huh. that's not out of sight because of houses today. I'm going to be paying 5000 a year, 2 to 3%. You're only getting half the picture, okay? Mm-hmm. First of all, how much is the size of your estate? 
Probably about 700000 What you want to do, number one, don't deal with the bank. Oh? Huh. A revocable living trust does not replace a will. No. This I, this so, number two, you want to establish a revocable living trust today. Mm-hmm. How's your health? Excellent. All right. You want to go ahead and identify yourself as the trustee of this trust. Mm-hmm. And... As the trustee, you will control everything. Uh-huh. That I understand from what I've read. What What do you own besides real estate? Oh, two hundred fifty thousand in stock, two hundred fifty thousand T bills, odds and ends, and unit trust. All right. Like that. If you want to go ahead, you can have the the ownership of your stocks and your T bills. You can have them transferred into the name of you as trustee mm-hmm. for that trust. Yeah, this I understand. Well, so far we haven't got a bank in any picture, do we? If you will call my office, I'll be happy to go ahead and help you set one of these up. We do these all the time for clients. We have uh, an attorney that either your attorney or we select an attorney who drafts the document. We then transfer the ownership of your assets into the ownership of your trust with you as trustee. Any uh, of your stocks, if they're held at a brokerage account or if they're mutual funds, we simply have the ownership changed from your name individual to trustee. But as far as the establishment of the revocable living trust, mm-hmm. you do not have to have a bank involved at all. I'll be done. And in your revocable living trust, you should have it designated that you have the North Carolina health care powers of attorney provisions written in there. You should have living will provisions oh, put yeah. in there. I have those already. You should, you should also have credit shelter trust provisions built into your revocable living trust document right. because, as you know, a, revo- a revocable living trust does not save estate taxes. Carol, uh, we did have one client that who within the last month, and she's a, uh, I think about 69, and she had one of these revocable living trusts set up for her, her estate. Mm-hmm. And she does not have any children, mm-hmm. but she did incorporate the setting up of, you know, the trust and her estate planning in with her financial planning as well. Because what we find is that individuals that have accumulated a certain amount of assets Want to protect it, and well, yeah, I'm I'm a little amazed when I retired and find out what I had. Yeah, do you have children, Carol? No. Okay. Well, the things that you might want to also incorporate into total financial planning, such as long-term nursing care insurance protection, you want to cover asset allocation of your investments. I uh, I don't have time on the air, but I would question right away why a lady like yourself has two hundred fifty thousand dollars in the stock market. That sounds a little risky to me. No, that's about one third of my estate. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in any case... It's grown through the years. I've been planning. Mm-hmm. And it uh, started out 20 years ago with my husband's life insurance. Yeah. And uh, boy, I'm amazed at what it is now. I can't sell anything. It's all capital gains. Uh, yeah, well, but- I can show you a way to sell it and pay no capital gains also. Now, what's uh, that number I should call? <laughs> okay, that number, Carol, here in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. 7000 That's USA 7000. Oh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Very good. Thanks, Thanks for calling. Time. Thank you, Carol. Bye bye. Well, that's all the money matters we have time for today. So we want to thank all our listeners for joining us. And for any other questions you may have, call my office during the week and we'll set up an appointment to meet with you personally. That number is 919 872 7000. That's 919 USA 7000. And we'll be back next week on this same station at the same time. In the meantime, have a great week. And remember, your money matters because your financial future is at stake.
You've been listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, you can call Doug and Linda in Raleigh at 872-7000. That's USA 7000. Listen again next Sunday at 605 for Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis on 680 WPTF.